November 11, 2019. That's the date that this interview was recorded, and it hurts to look at. It literally hurt to right-click the file and figure out when it was made. So much has happened since I had this conversation, and you can think about what has happened in your own life since November 2019. It's hard to go back to these episodes. And if you're a patron, you've probably already figured out that going back has been a challenge for me. I've declared I'm ready, then crashed and burned, felt ready again, retreated again. It's embarrassing, but it's what happened. And I really believe the best way to go forward is to make peace with what happened, even when you're not proud of it. To give you an idea, these old episodes are almost like going back in time, willingly, to right before Everything was about to disintegrate, and my world was about to go dark for what has felt like a lifetime of its own. You can imagine you're in this terrible train crash that takes almost two years to recover from, and when you're finally ready to go back to work, your boss asks you to hop in a time machine, get back on the train, and recover what you were working on just before the train is definitely going to crash. I'm afraid. All of this is to say I'm afraid I don't want to crash again. But, unfortunately, when I listen to my boss, which in this case is my intuition or guiding spirit or my internal compass, it keeps pointing me back to recovering these old episodes that never made it out. (sighs) Okay. You may listen to these episodes, and I'll let you know which ones they are, and say, huh, I don't don't see why it was worth going back for them. You could have just moved on, but it's a big deal to me. And it feels important to me. And I want to honor all the work that went into recording these. The personal sacrifice of time and money, traveling to these guests, the guest time, and the energy that Misty, who booked these guests and did everything she possibly could to keep me afloat while I was sinking, put into them. Thank you, Misty, by the way. So here we are. Time has passed. Situations have changed. What these old conversations mean to me has changed. But being a human in this one lifetime trying to do my best and take advantage of the opportunity to even be a human, to get to learn about the human experience and experience the human experience, for better or worse, remains about the same. Here's my conversation with Jen Pasloff, author of the national bestseller On Being Human, on her thoughts on being human. Hi. Hi. I'm not as prepared as I want to be. That's okay. For this conversation. I don't want to be the guy that shows up and is like, pretends to know. No. Yeah. So so we can just talk about being human. We could talk about depression. We could talk about hearing loss. We could talk about living in a tiny, whatever you want. Okay. I literally just texted my friend. I'm depressed, so. Are you in a? Yeah. A little bout? Yeah. Yeah, me too. I just, I've been on a medication, Lamictal, and it's not, it's like a mood stabilizer. And this was the first time that I went to the doctor and I said, I'm, I want to try an antidepressant again. Are the burners on? That one is because it's just low. It's because I'm cooking soup. Oh, man. Do we shut it off? Can we? Yeah, why? Can uh, you hear it? Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> so I think now is a good time to mention to the listener that you can't hear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's no. so funny. I mean, it just your eyes got all wide, and I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. I'm not, I mean, he just has a thing with like, the stove can't ever be on, but... I do have that thing. Do you really? Well, you okay. know, I'm always worried that the stove's... That I left the stove on. Totally. Okay. But not in your house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. I was cooking soup, and I could not hear it. 
So I like to start this podcast with the same question. This isn't because I'm underprepared. This is actually how I start every time. Jen, who are you? Are you going to edit out the silence? Meticulously. Unless it feels emotional. Who am I? Who I'd like to think I am is love. I am love. This morning, I wasn't feeling like that. Like I told you just now, I had been going through a depression. So feeling kind of insecure and jealous and down and I don't feel like love but if I come to the core of who I am and and or spend time with someone who reflects who I really am that is who I am love and beautifully you guys just got me a coffee that says Jen deserves love it's true yeah when you say jealous is it of people who don't have to go through it um you I'm trying to read your lips. You said, am I jealous of people who don't have to go through it? When you say jealous. I am going to get right into it. I'm having a hard time because my book came out in June and it's that end of the year bullshit with all the lists. And so far I haven't seen mine on any. And so I'm looking on social media and getting that triggered feeling like I'm not enough. I suck. I'm a loser. Everyone's doing better than you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and going down a, a bit of a spiral. And so I realized that maybe I just need to stop scrolling <laughs> right now. My my best friend, I just texted her and I said, I'm, I'm depressed. And she said, you hide it really well. And I said, not really. I mean, maybe not on Instagram. But if you're with me in person, I'm not hiding it. She said, well, let's make our own list. So I like that. I love that. Thank yeah. you for saying that, too. It's... It's not the natural thing to say. It's not. And now yeah. I'm like paranoid. Oh my gosh, vulnerability hangover. But but it's true. It's it's the, the pesky ego. I'm not sure if it's all ego. I mean, some of it is like, oh, I work so hard. Why am I not on that? You know. You did the work. Yeah. I'm not on... There should be a parade now. A parade. Yeah. Totally. Why isn't there a parade outside? You know, I wrote a book and I want the world to celebrate it and me and... I feel that way all the time with the podcast. It's like I made it, you know, and even when like booking guests, like there's this like put your best foot forward. Like this is how many listeners we have. And it's like it's not what's real, but it's it's such an ingrained part of how we value. Like we're in a society that values productivity, right? Like if you look at a homeless person and a CEO, we see a different value in their humanity. It's just like this society that we've built i think it's capitalism maybe but so it's it's hard to like do the work of say somebody who's on the new york times bestseller list and then feel like well, i did the fucking work and i wrote a great book and yet i'm not there it's and <laughs> my book ends in fact on one of the great epiphanies of my life which is give yourself a fucking medal because no one else is gonna and, you know, I realized I spent my whole life until recently and even obviously still waiting for someone to give me a medal, give me permission, you know, tell me I'm worth it. Let me take up space, all these things. And I can I catch myself when I'm doing it, which is this thing. And yet I, I do also understand it's OK to want that acknowledgement and recognition. And you know, it's 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 complicated because we do need it in some ways, you know, for the podcast or for my speaking engagement. It does help to say, well, I've had so-and-so on or I've done, 
next week I'm going to the Mayo Clinic and people are impressed by that. And so we use things to build upon. As long, I think the trouble I get in and maybe you is when we, I start to identify my worth as being equal to that. Yeah. Well, I think it's really easy to do that because that's the general consensus, right? It's like you're, you are as valuable as your output. I, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I'm emotional right now, which is I'm on antidepressants. And so I don't often, I can cry at movies and TV shows and books, but not my own life anymore. But I feel really emotional. But I think that's what's happening. I think I'm seeing these lists, these stupid lists, no offense if you're on one. And of course, if I was on it, it probably wouldn't be stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But I see these lists and I, I feel like I'm not, I don't have any value. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're feeling it. Yeah. yeah. And and honestly, I could care less how many listeners you have. The reason I did your podcast was because of the title. Yeah. We we are we have symbiotic titles. Totally. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. And also because you were willing to come here and offered me coffee. Yeah. So. That goes a long way sometimes. Absolutely. <laughs> I love the way that this started already. Can you tell us just the people for the people who don't know you a bit about your story, about who you are and, and where you came from? That you you started losing your hearing early, that you had to deal with tragedy early. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I, I, mm-hmm. I love so many elements of it. So it was me, my mom, my dad, and my sister. And I was really close to my dad. Um, probably dysfunctionally close. It was like him and I against the world. And my dad smoked four packs of cigarettes a day, menthol, and did drugs. And at 38 years old, he died. And right before he died... Now, this was the 80s. Right before he died, he asked me to go across the street. to the, It was a little store called The Newsroom and get him a pack, a hard pack of cools, which is hilarious if you think of that now. Like, imagine sending your eight-year-old to the store to get you cigarettes. So I said, you promised you'd quit smoking. You always break your promises. I hate you. And he said, stop being bad. You're making me not feel good. And I said, I hate you. And that was the last thing I ever said to him. And he said, stop being bad. You're making me not feel good. And so, of course listeners I decided it was my fault I'm a bad person so I took that honest truth I'm a bad person this is what I knew to be true I resented my mom I resent you know my dad left me with the enemy and I I also decided I wouldn't feel anything and I would deny 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 which started a theme of my life you know so that's one of the reasons my hearing loss which I'm writing an essay now I'm about denial people are fascinated how did you not know you were losing your hearing well, people that I said have never had anything they've they, progressively that they've had a, or even not progressively that they've been in denial about. And so losing my hearing, I had tinnitus. It didn't get as bad as it is now until a decade ago. And then in high school, my mom moved us to California from New Jersey to start over and then back to New Jersey again because she's, you know, my kooky mom. And, um, and then I continued with the theme of trying to not feel anything and not dealing with anything. And I became severely anorexic and almost died and was really depressed. And eventually it all um, came to a head. And I was a scholar at NYU studying poetry. I had one year left. My mom moved back to California. God bless you, mom. You're nuts. (laughs) 
Yeah. So um, back and forth, back and forth. So she moved back to California and I decided to take a semester off and come be with her because I was craving safety. I was having a breakdown in college. My high school boyfriend had broken up with me and I thought I was going to die. I really did. And I, I mean, obviously looking back now, it was all my dad's stuff I had never dealt with, but I came to California to take a semester off and got a summer job at a trendy West Hollywood restaurant. And that summer job turned into 14 years and I never went back to school. And that reinforced my belief that I was a bad person and I didn't have any worth and wasn't really writing. I was truly like a walking dead person. And then I found antidepressants. I had been doing yoga that was helping a bit and I found antidepressants and that changed my whole life because it allowed me to see possibility where I had not seen any at all. And I decided to become a yoga teacher, not because I wanted to be one, but because I thought it would be an escape route from the restaurant, which it was. And that led me to what I'm doing now, which is I started combining yoga with writing and sharing and being human and leading these wacky workshops that I made up all over the world. And I wrote a book. What was the moment that pushed you into getting antidepressants? Because it's such a big move. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I My history with them is that I will go on medication, feel better, and then want to go off because it's not... I literally this morning was teaching yoga and I was like, I think I want to go off. Because it's not holistic, you know? Like, oh and it's, gosh, you're totally. like, something's wrong with you if you're taking them. Like, And I just have this crazy idea twice a year about, that it's like, oh, I can do it with probiotics and exercise, right? Well, <laughs> Sam, I... This morning was teaching and, you know, I've been up since three because I'm on London time and my son woke up wanting French fries. So I woke up and I, I thought I, I want to feel again. I miss, you know, feeling more. But the problem is I can't function without them. I did try to go off in 2013 and it was terrible. The truth is I went on really uh, early. I think I went on when I was 24 or six. I don't remember briefly, but not supervisor or anything my doctor just gave me some samples and I started taking them but I'd take them when I wanted and I mean it was a mess and so and then I stopped and um, went through really bad withdrawal and I said I'm never doing that again and then something happened in my early 30s that caused me to have another breakdown and I went to a, I decided to finally go to a therapist which I had sporadically done in my life and never stuck with and the first thing he said was, you're depressed, you need to be on meds. And the first thing I thought was, you're an asshole. What do you know? Way to make a judgment. But the truth is, he was right. I thought, okay, I'll I'll try them. And I did. And it took about two weeks to kick in. And it wasn't this like life-altering shift. You wouldn't look at me and notice anything particularly different. But I was able to see possibility or a glimmer of light. And that's the only way I've been able to describe it. It's like, I always think it was like I was in a well and somebody threw down a ladder and I started to climb up and I saw a pinprick of light. And that led to one thing, which led to the other, which led to the other, which, which got me where I am now. But weirdly, on Saturday night in London, this very sweet man who's a yoga teacher in Spain, because I talk very openly about being on antidepressants, he's, so he started in on me. He said, you know... You know, there's other things you could try, you know, and I just, I'm so firm on my stance. I, you know, I, I, I said, you know, so I said, well, would you say that to someone who's bipolar? And he said, well, that's complicated. I said, well, you wouldn't. He said, yoga didn't help, which is like the thing that drives me the most crazy. and makes me want to punch someone in the nose. I said, well, no, it did help. 
but it wasn't enough. Sure, it helped. I, I get the impulse to want to go off for whatever reason. And you have to know yourself well enough and make sure it's the right choice. And if it's not, that's okay. Yeah, I can push, me personally, I can push the needle with diet and exercise. I can get into a routine where I'm working out high cardio every day and eating whole foods. And I feel like I feel on an antidepressant. Here's the problem is if I miss a day or miss two days, my whole life falls apart in a way that I have a 10 year old. I can't afford for my life to fall apart like that. And it's taken so many breakdowns, you know, and like this latest one, like I have this podcast, which is, you know, really about like feeling your feelings and being open. Like, if anything, it's like so okay to be where I am. Like I've painted myself professionally in a great place to have depression. And I was doing the things. I was doing the gratitude list. And I was also walk crossing the street and going, I wonder what my funeral would be like if I walked in front of this bus or going on a hike and being like, I wonder what would happen if I just dove down the hill into that rock. And I just, you know, it was at that point where it's like, you have that moment of clarity where you realize that your thoughts are that bad. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I need to go. Good for you, to, though. I was, on, I was down here in LA, which my Kaiser is Northern California, but luckily Misty, she who, who hosts me, who helps book guests, who's just been helping me a lot, especially while I'm struggling, has just been paramount to this program, works for Kaiser. She said, get there now. And so we literally went to Kaiser and made an appointment before seeing a guest. And so I literally came out of the psych department and went to an interview. But there was that like that moment of realization where you realize how bad things were. That's great that you got that because for me quite often, and this is where it gets scary, is I don't realize until I'm not in it anymore how bad I was or how depressed I was so that you have the tools or the wherewithal or whatever you want to call it to go, okay, I need help. Well, I don't realize it till it starts becoming like life-threatening. Right, right. I don't recognize when it's like, oh, you're not working towards what you love. Totally. Or these things, you know, that you normally love, you no longer love. And so I unfortunately don't recognize it until it's really, really bad. But man, what a... And it's hard when other people point it out. I get really defensive when people say, you seem da-da-da-da, you seem depressed, or you seem, it's like I get, you don't get to say that. I get to tell you that if I am. Yeah. I was recently, I recently had BJ Miller on, who lost uh, three, he lost his arm and both legs, and he's an incredible guest. But we were, we just touched on it, but I'd love to talk about it with you, the fact that, like, so much of our desire is to like become whole, right? And obviously that takes on a new meaning if you're missing something that won't come back, like your hearing. And so what is your own connection to you being wholly gen and being a complete whole gen, even though you're, you've had to adjust, like your life is different in a way that it won't, it won't be the same again? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a great question. For me, what makes me feel whole is when I'm listening which is ironic i know but it's it's a beautiful irony and it it's all about possibility because i've learned to listen in such profound ways that defy explanation sometimes because of my loss so when i'm listening when i'm being of service and when i'm creating whatever that means 
I notice when I do get depressed, I'm not doing those things. That is exactly the three things for me too. Really? Yeah, the, exactly the same thing. Let's get married. I'm married, but yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be brother and sister. Okay. Okay. So, okay, listening like right now, I feel way better, even though it's not like we're you know we're, we're having a deep conversation that could border even on a bit sad, and I love it. It's just so because it's so human and real and connected, and that as the kids would say, gives me life, you know, having those kind of cut through the bullshit moments with people. So much of our society, this has been an ongoing theme coming up over and over again, is about this wanting to sell people or give people the answer, right? The answer to their humanity, the answer to Mm -hmm. their problem, that there is salvation, right? And that there is, like, I love to talk that we were listening to on the way here where somebody, you know, you're like, don't even try to tell me that, oh, there's a greater plan for this. Cause I don't want to hear that. And about that life is chaos and there is real suffering and there is real loss and tragedy. And you don't have to put a positive spin on it. Oh God. You know? Nothing makes me, my butthole clench more than um, people uh, of platitudes or positive spin or everything happens for a reason. So how do you, Teach because you teach workshops and classes. How do you help people in your classes and help yourself to reckon with the chaotic life, with that your dad was taken to you, taken from you when you were a little child who needed a dad, even if he was no, he was amazing. No, and he may have been a shitty husband, but he was amazing, amazing dad. This this tattoo I got in um, August in Nashville says "I got you." So there's two phrases that are my favorite and before I got you my very favorite words and still are are it's gonna be okay which makes a lot of sense because when you're eight and your dad dies in the way minded with the guilt and the the trauma and the way it happened hearing hearing it's gonna be okay there that's all I've ever craved people when I was little and people would ask me my fantasy that was my fantasy someone just saying it's gonna be okay and then I got you is to answer the question of, of how do you reckon with that, it's like when you have those I got you people, when you have your your people, or if you want to, you know, some people call it your, well, we don't say a tribe anymore, but. I think um, you can say tribe. Okay. And here's why. Somebody challenged me on that. Okay. And I looked up the etymology of tribe. So tribe, it came from Rome. Romans were calling barbaric Englishmen tribes like got it tribes of okay so it's not a it's not a word i just i was you know i saw i saw people getting a lot of um flack on the internet and so i stopped saying that Um, i'm not letting it go okay and i think native americans prefer nation than tribe than tribe Mm -hmm. because they are a sovereign their their own independent nation yeah tribe was a derogatory word originally for savages you know that's why okay us westerners started calling native americans tribes I, I don't know. I'm not giving it up. So yeah. so then your tribe, your people, your your safe people, whatever you want to call them, that's how you make it through. So who I want to be in the world is the embodiment of I got you and also it's going to be okay. I'm just from the brief time that I know you, which is, you know, very short amount of minutes. You have also this gift that I have, which is you you make me feel safe. So I believe for the most part I make people feel safe and it's one of my gifts I don't have very many I have a couple that I'm great at (laughs) and like everything else I'm pretty shitty at 
it's that experience of allowing people to feel safe with what they need to feel and not offering anything except bearing witness or I got you, whatever that looks like and means in the moment. Being a witness is huge. Being a witness is everything because it's the opposite of what we were talking about, which mm -hmm. is trying to fix. Absolutely. Trying to fix comes from being uncomfortable with that you know person. And it's almost like if you feel uncomfortable with my suffering, you should go. You know, you should leave because I don't need you to fix me. You actually can't. You're not that powerful. Absolutely. You're not that powerful of a Absolutely. being. Because of the stuff that I talk about on this show, people will send me their kind of laundry list of stuff they're going through. And I feel that urge, too, of being like, well, are, you, are you meditating? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm, are you mm -hmm. exercising? But instead, I just say, I see you. I see you. And because that's really all I can do. Yeah. And that's the same thing as I got you. Yeah. I hear you. And. What I say to people in my workshop is, is you only need two things in my workshop. Like, forget the yoga part. It does take place in a yoga room most of the time, and that's only because it allows people to get more free than just sitting in a chair. But all you need are two things, to listen and to tell the truth. Well, and the third is don't be an asshole, which is, I own that website. But anyway, listen and tell the truth. And if you only focus on listening and really listening without an agenda, without worrying about what you're going to say or fixing it, your life will be changed. And that's a money back guarantee. And I say it every time and I stand by that. If you're able to just listen. And it's hard. I do all this work with women who've lost children. The worst types of grief you can imagine. And, and yet it's so people are able to sit and bear witness. What do you teach in that class? Like, what is the, I love the image of somebody who's deaf being a great listener. And I think part of it is just that you've had to fully listen. You have to look, you have to watch, you have to see the small things and you have to really be present. You can't be surfing the internet or th no. thinking about how your day is going to go if you're if you're listening, because you have to be fully there. So I scoot over on my butt usually, and I and I get so close, like I'm almost in your lap, so I'm right in your face to read your lips, which can be so intimidating, but it's also really amazing because you know I'm right there with you listening. And based on the experience I've had over the years doing these workshops, the reason I think that people are so floored and keep coming back and it's so transform some transformative and... um magical is because most of us don't feel seen and heard. And so when you do have that feeling, it's the most profound thing in the world. How do you listen in a way that you aren't taking on people's grief or their own suffering in a way that you can be a healthy listener? Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. can you can bear witness without taking damage. I was just on a podcast last week in London and she asked me the same question and I answered really honestly in a way I hadn't before is I'm it's complicated, or maybe it's not, but I fully listen, and I and I, I am one hundred percent there. But due to the physiological response of what happened when I was a kid with my dad and the way that my body shut down, there's this weird ability I have to. It's not even that I disconnect because I'm right there, but I'm able to not fully take it on. I don't know. I don't I don't know. And I, I don't think that I take other people's stuff on, but maybe I'm kidding myself. I do know that I come home when I'm done working and I'm in here a lot in my apartment and by myself. So it may seem if you just follow me on the Internet that I'm always busy. But when I'm not working, I'm not. I really take the time to just shut people out. 
I do feel it, you know, and I'm, I'm talking to people that have gone through these terrible things. I feel it, but I focus on them so that I don't make it about me. And still sometimes I do. Sometimes I feel like my heart is breaking and life isn't fair and I want to smash the idea of God to smithereens. And, and then I come back into my body and I just look at the person in front of me. We had Richard Pimentel on. You have know, what? A guest named Richard Pimentel. Oh, I don't know what. I, I don't know what I thought he said. He was a Vietnam veteran who got tinnitus by getting bombed in a bunker. And eventually lost his healing, he, hearing as well, but he helped co-write the ADA, and it was just an amazing. He had a very similar experience wow. where his whole thing is respond with your ability. Do you still have tinnitus? Like, oh my god! So even though you can't hear, you can hear the tinnitus. Yes, that- it's horrible, and I've written about it so many times about this idea of what silence is because my idea of silence is not yours I don't think because I don't I don't know what silence is I hear when I took my hearing aids out it's so loud the other day it made me cry it's so maddening it's so loud so the hearing aids make everything else louder I never do not hear it wow which is why meditating is really hard just sit sitting and meditating you know walking that's how one of the reasons yoga is easier for me or walking meditation but I don't know what silence is. Wow. How do you how do you adjust to that? That just seems I don't know. Yeah. I mean, what's wild about humans is we adjust to almost anything, which is amazing and scary and depressing and fascinating and impossible yet possible. But we do. I've, I ask people in my workshops, have you ever had anything where you thought you were going to die from the pain? And I don't mean necessarily physical pain. I mean emotional. And everyone almost raises their hand, and yet they didn't. And here you are. So I don't have a choice, first of all. So yes, I have felt like I wanted to die from it. It's so maddening. I mean, it really is like it's torture. And especially, you know, my husband's not here right now, and, and I'm alone with my son. And so when I take my hearing aids out, I can't hear him, and it's frustrating, and it's... But it is what it is, and I and I do think that it. I know that it helps me have more compassion for other people, and that's one of the ways I've really learned to be with other people's stuff. Is understanding that we all have something, yes, varying degrees of how shitty it is or how hard to navigate. But how do you work with and balance with the frustration of how unfair it is? Of like, I I have that, and you know, I was a teen dad I wasn't planning on that and I also had a nervous breakdown dropped out of college my third year just like you and you know ended up being a a meth head I just really fucked my life you know and so I often have this like raging frustration of just like why did this happen like it just feels like I'm I'm permanently fucked Mm -hmm. and how do you deal with the because it's not a helpful thought Right. To, no, it's not. But it, it's just a real thing that comes mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when my dad died, I my big thing was God hates me. God hates me. And also life isn't fair. And I still stand by life isn't fair. It's <laughs> nope. true. You know, my nephew, my sister's son has this really rare, terrible, awful genetic disorder. And I remember that's the minute when I found out. That same feeling immediately popped in. It was like a synapse. God hates my family and life isn't fair. I don't even know if I believe in God. And here I am with that old, you know, 
uh, bullshit story. So I work on the why me, why not me? And how can I find beauty in this or a gift or accept? And you know what? People go, well, how, do you, how have you found acceptance? And I say, ha ha, oh, have I? I mean, so yeah. <laughs> so some days and some days I haven't. And that's why I wrote a book called On Being Human. And I think that's one of the reasons people listen to me because I tell the truth. No, some days it sucks and I feel sorry for myself and it's not fair and and then I snap out of it. I think the danger is staying in that place. How do you try to not stay there? How do I? Yeah. Well, earlier you said something about the exercise and I, you know, my husband doesn't understand this because it's not like this for him, but I haven't been exercising because I've been on book tour and I think that's part of the reason I've been depressed too. But moving my body, exercising, laughter, having a sense of humor is the most important thing for me. And um, being really careful, mindful, um, discerning about who I'm spending my time with. How do you get... So the Catch-22, right, is like you know some things that'll make you feel better, like, say, moving your body. But it's hard to go move your body, which will help you move your body when you don't feel like moving your body. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, because that's been me recently. Sometimes it does help to have my friends go, Jen, go to the gym for 20 minutes. You know you'll feel better. Yeah. And I literally, I'll go, Robert, it's my husband. Robert, make me go to the gym. I mean, please, you know, I need you to hold me accountable. Or, or, But I don't know the answer to that because I'm, I know, oh, go do yoga. It'll make you feel better. And I won't. Yeah. Stop drinking so much wine. It'll make you feel better. And I don't. <laughs> so... <laughs> next question (laughs) (laughs) how do you manage to have a as productive of a life as you can be when you do have these things that want to take you out for a week or two or but you you need to keep going right we both have kids and bills to pay and so how, how do you manage to keep going when you don't feel like it well oftentimes I don't and I think you know appearances can be deceiving and although it looks like and I do have a productive life but there's so many things I'm I have to write a forward for a book that was due last week and and all all these things that I let slide because I can't keep up and then I get overwhelmed and I get depressed and then and then I panic and and I just let it go. I have these events next week in Northern California and I've been in this funk and I haven't promoted them. So I don't know if anyone's coming. So I do, but I also think if I wasn't struggling with depression and I and various other things that I would be getting more done, but it's okay. Yeah. I haven't promoted the podcast in like months. Just the best I could do was just to keep making it. But like, yeah, you know, I was just like, I can't, I don't have the emotional energy to make the graphic and to do all this stuff. And I totally hear you. It's just sometimes doing my best is like not enough, but it's what I can do. Yeah. Yeah. And people, you know, people don't know. And they, so they look at your life, my life or someone else's life from the outside in and they think, wow. They're, they've got this successful podcast and they have everything, everything so together and they're so successful and and they don't know what's going on behind closed doors. I try to remember that a lot. Yeah. When I'm judgy, make judgy pants especially, you know. What are you trying to, like, what are you aware of that you want to, you've collected in this lifetime that you want to pass on to your kid that you want to say, like, this is what I think is important. And I, I know love's going to be one of them because that's a lot of what your work's about. But what are the main things that you've, that you've learned? Because you've had an exceptional 
set of teachers, if you want to call your hardships your teachers, you've had qu- quite a bit of. Well, yeah, the love thing is is important because my mission statement has that the word love in it, which is when I get to the end of my life and I ask one final, what have I done? Let my answer be, I have done love. And that came from when I was waitressing at the newsroom, having a breakdown and panicking over, what have I done? Oh my God, what have I done? What have I done? I dropped out of school. How did I get here? I'm 33 years old. I've been here since I was 21. I'm, what have I done? And it was years later, I realized, well, none of it matters. I mean, what have I want to have done love. I want to be able to say that. And then I, you know, revised it to at the end of each day rather than the end of my life. So absolutely. And the thing is, though, what does doing love means? It means whatever you want it to mean. Sometimes it means bearing witness. Sometimes it means asking how may I serve. Sometimes it means being kind. Sometimes it means sharing someone's post on article on the internet you know learning how to truly listen that's really really important to me um you know as i talked about and not taking ourselves so seriously my dad really wanted to be a comedian when he died everyone still to this day will say he was the funniest person they'd ever met and so that having a sense of humor about life i mean it's so hard and fucked up you might as well have a sense of humor about it how may i serve really was Wayne Dyer taught me that. I'm not saying he invented that phrase, but he's the one that taught it to me. And I really radically changed my life. How can I be of service? Who can I be a blessing to today? Yeah. I like to end the podcast with this question. And if I could slide the phone over to you and on the other end was you at your most struggling moment. It could be as a child after your dad passed it could be when you're really struggling and dropping out of college or when you felt like your life was meaningless while you're just waiting tables what what would that message be even though you don't feel great but what did you say if you slid the phone to me yeah okay and on the other end was you when you needed to hear Ah, yourself the most Mm. what's the message that you would want to say i mean you know what i'm gonna say don't you it's gonna be okay i hope so thank you so much for your time thank you it's going to be okay. Thanks for listening to the How to Human podcast. My name is Sam Lamont. If you enjoy this program, I would love your help in a couple ways. One is to share the episode with your friends and loved ones. That could be online with social media. That could also even just be in person or texting them a link to the episode. It helps spread the message. And two, to support us financially if you're in a place to do that at www.patreon.com slash how to human. No amount is too small. No amount is too big. And it would mean a lot to me as we get the show back on the road to do so comfortably financially, which might take a second, but let's give it a shot. Again, thanks for listening. And until next time, have a great day.